Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Good afternoon, Canada. Today's date is October 29th, 2020. Welcome to uh, Canadian Common Sense. It is Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in beautiful BC. How are you, my friend? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Just wrapped up my season and I'm now, uh, you know, on the lamb for the next four months. <laughs> oh, geez. So at least you've uh, got some time on your hands. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I got a list of things to do around the house and, and, uh, and then I'll spend the winter skiing and snowmobiling. So nice. Yeah. All right. So you're ready to get a little angry today. Always. (laughs) Well, here we go on the show today. Canada is back that way though. A little bit of COVID updates, a conspiracy? No, but I wish it was. And Trudeau and his ministers, corruption, broken promises, bailouts, and there's more. There always is. Friend, there always is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do we want to start with? Let's start out with Canada is back. Now that sure. was Justin Trudeau's big tagline after the election victory in 2015 Canada is back and now Canada is back the now that re- recession numbers are coming in from or financial recession numbers coming in from all the G7 countries Canada we're number one we're number one in deficit and government spending and unemployment and the G7 yeah we have the Highest deficit per capita in the world. And that's not something we should be bragging about. No, it sure is not. And, of course, it's bothering me that they they keep using that line that Bill Morneau loved. Oh, our debt to GDP ratio is solid. Because now I'm starting to hear that provincially as well. And that actually came up in the Saskatchewan election at one point saying, oh, Saskatchewan has a a low debt to GDP ratio. And this is supposedly a center-right party that was saying that there's a Saskatchewan party. And I thought, you guys are going the exact wrong way down the road if if we're now starting to justify deficit spending nationwide. Yeah. No, it's... The thing is, is that none of this is sustainable and um, it's... They're saying that the the to service the Canadian debt is going to be fourteen billion dollars. Sorry, this is the new debt that we've put on this year alone is going wow. to be an additional fourteen billion dollars a year to service, and we're not done. Next year's debt is or deficit is probably going to be fifty percent of what it was this year, maybe even higher because if the second wave is as bad as they say it's going to be, then government, it, even though the WHO even 
Even the WHO is now saying that lockdowns don't work and they don't recommend them. We're going to have another lockdown if the second wave starts getting out of control. And governments are going to have to pony up again. I mean, this is... So if you think the debt, the, the deficits are, are over, you're, you're dreaming. They're, they're only going to continue. They may not be as bad, but they are going to be still, if you, if you take this year out of the equation, they will still be the worst deficits in the history of Canada. Oh, they are. And uh, you're right. That's going to continue. And it really bothers them that we're already number one in the world. And you would just think that any government that had any kind of common sense whatsoever would look at that, those numbers and say, okay, you know what, we're, we need to do some serious thinking on what's going on with our spending. But no, no. And uh, we'll segue into talking about Trudeau and his ministers at this point in time. Krista Freeland, who is our Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, has said publicly you know, that, A, she is not prepared to, to present a budget until, quote, the pandemic is over. And B, she's talking spend, 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 and we're going to keep spending to help Canadians. Um, yeah. How are you going to help Canadians when you're spending, as you just said, $14 billion a year just servicing debt? Um, that $14 billion is the entire budget, then some, of some of our provinces. Yeah. And like I said, that's only for the new portion of our debt. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, there's so much more to this than just the financial side of it. But, I mean, the financial side of it is, is, the, is the side of it that's going to uh, bury governments. I mean, they, when, the, when, the, when, the, when things come home to roost, it's going to get bad. Like, I don't think people understand how how big these deficits are. I mean, Canada's deficit this year was nearly 50% of Canada's debt before, before 2020 started. Oh yeah. Like, like that's like, this is enormous and it's unsustainable. And these are the kinds of things that cause economies to completely collapse. This is the kind of thing that causes governments to completely collapse. This is the kind of thing that causes currencies to completely collapse. And that's why, like, I mean, you know, I've been buying physical silver bullion this year because I'm, I'm predicting that our, our currency is going to collapse I, if you listen to all the experts, all the, all the people who know what they're talking about, the Peter Schiff's, the Mike Maloney's, the, the, uh, 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 Michael Campbell's, the, the, these guys, they, they're, they're world renowned economists and, and, uh, uh, and financial like gurus. And they're all saying, the currencies are going to collapse because they can't withstand 
the pressure of all this debt and all this money creation that's happening right now. The, the, uh, the currencies in emerging markets will see collapse, the collapses happen first, and then it will move to Europe, and then it will move to North America last. And the emerging markets, they're collapsing now. I mean, if you look at, uh, I believe it's Venezuela, the, they have, if you want to take out a loan, it's 73% interest. If you, they're, 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 uh, they're, uh, uh, oh, what's it called? The uh, inflation rate there is 2,400% this year. Wow. A normal inflation rate is right around two to three and a half percent. They're at, you know, 10 or no, a hundred times that, you know? Yeah. Like this is, and it's starting already in the emerging markets. Look at Turkey. Look at, you know, uh, uh, these, these emerging markets, these, these, pseudo second world countries right yeah um their their currencies their economies that all of it their money markets their bond markets they're all collapsing and it starts there it moves it starts moving into europe and then it'll move to north america and we've got from what the experts have been saying we've got about two years before it hits us but it's going to hit us and it's going to hit us hard yeah, I know what I was hearing from, and it may even be Michael Campbell, uh, was talking about that the Bank of Canada now owns 60% of government ca- of Canada bonds. And he said that's way too high. He said really they should only have about 20%. And then I'm, it might still be Michael Campbell who I was listening to, who was also saying that the government actually could somewhat put the brakes on this if they would just withdraw the money back out of circulation that they've printed, you know, after it's been spent on whatever. But instead of doing that, they're just letting the printing presses run free. And that ties into what you and I have talked about a few times in this show is that hyperinflation. And yeah. it's coming. I mean, when your printing presses are running 24-7, throwing billions of dollars into an economy without withdrawing that money back out, there's nothing to back those dollars. So yeah. pretty soon you're, you know, you're, $20 whatever item is going to be 55 yeah, and higher. I mean, the, the thing is, is that you've got when, when, a, and this is where, where people kind of get lost is when your bank, when the bank of Canada owns 60% of the government bonds, that is a reflection of the fact that foreign investors are not buying our bonds. They're not investing their money in the Canadian dollar. Right. And that's and that's bad. Like that's not a good thing that the that the the, the Bank of Canada owns that many bonds. It's that's bad because it means nobody has any confidence in the Canadian dollar and confidence in the is all that matters in the bond market. And when the bond market starts to collapse because there's no confidence, that's when your precious metals skyrocket. Yeah, that's right. And you're seeing that now. I mean, gold is well over $2,000 an ounce already. So yeah. 
Yeah, and silver silver hit uh, some pretty high uh, numbers uh, a couple of months ago. They've they've taken a bit of a dip, but they which was expected, and uh, but they're they're fully expecting them to head back up, and they're talking. Like right now, silver is around 20, uh, I believe it's like 27 or $28 an ounce. Um, but they're predicting that it, it's going to hit probably somewhere around $500 an ounce. Wow. And that gold, gold could easily top $4,000 by the time, you know, this is all said and done. Wow, that's amazing. All right, so from one depressing topic on to the next, um, I sent you a screenshot just before we started the show. Um, it was breaking news to me. I had just noticed it, you know, literally minutes before I sent it to you. The ethics commissioner has cleared Bill Morneau of any ethics violations. Now, for those listeners who need a refresher on this one, Bill Morneau was charged with violating ethics rules with involvement with the We Charity when he accepted two trips. One was to Ecuador and one was to Kenya, I believe. Uh, the trip to Ecuador was a $41,000 trip for him and his family that Bill Morneau claimed he didn't realize he had not reimbursed we for just the day of his appearance at a hearing for the ethics committee. Whoops. Didn't notice it until, oh, until I had to answer for it. And Lewis, you and I never bought that for a second. And Canada, I'm sure that you never bought that for a second either but Trudeau appointed ethics commissioner Mario Dion said oh yeah no I I believe in what he said he didn't realize he had not paid for it so charges dropped would you um would you notice if there was not $41,000 missing from your bank account I would notice that like you would not believe as would I um, I mean, maybe he just has that much money that he doesn't notice it. And, you know, it didn't occur to him that he didn't pay it back. But I kind of find that hard to believe because people don't get that rich by not knowing how much money is going in and out of their bank account. Yeah, $41,000 is not exactly a rounding error. No, I mean that's that's a pretty big number, even for someone with with you know a couple million bucks in the bank or a few million bucks in the bank. That's still a big number. That's something you notice. Exactly. Yeah. So in uh, so still, I'm not buying it, and still, I'm sure you're not buying it. But yeah. for some reason, Mario Dion says, "Oh, yeah, no, that 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 sounds legit." Next. Yeah. And I, uh, it just ticks me off that. People, I'm not, I'm not even going to say it's wealthy people, just connected people get to skate on stuff like this. And it's just, it's not just, it's not fair. And I realize that the worst he would get from the ethics commissioner would be a slap on the wrist and a $200 fine. But I want him to pay that $200 fine because I want him to understand that you can't keep dipping your hand in the cookie jar. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous, and I mean, I, I, I like you. I, I'm, I'm tired of connected people just getting away with things and skating on, on, on wrongdoings. Like, uh, you know, I mean, how does a prime minister 
get found guilty on two ethics violations, likely a third, and continue to be prime minister. Like, there should be a rule that if you get found guilty of an ethics violation, and it, and I don't care if you're prime minister or a backbencher, if you, get a, if you are found guilty of one ethics violation, you're gone. You lose your seat. And, yeah. and, not because, and not because I don't think people deserve a second chance, but because I think, like, uh, if you make it a one strike and you're out, then we're going to have people in government who are paying very close attention to their behavior and making sure that yeah. everything they do is above board. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, their whole premise of their job is, you know, public confidence. So, yeah, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for that well, idea. I, it should be a one strike and you're out. And you know what? The conservatives should make that part of their platform. Yeah. So you mentioned our illustrious prime minister, and I don't think we could go for a whole show without talking about Justin Trudeau, at least in passing. So, oh, we've got a few topics about Trudeau. Number one, how would you like to fly on government airlines? Uh, Trudeau government has decided now, well, the airlines do need our help, but instead of a direct bailout, perhaps taxpayer money should be invested directly into ownership stakes of Canada's airlines. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw this earlier this year, right? When uh, the pandemic first hit and they attempted to pass legislation that would uh, give the government the power to nationalize any industry or company that they chose. Um, that was part of that uh, bill that uh, ended up failing uh, or getting amended anyway. Um, yeah, because uh, because Pierre Poiliev caught that. Uh, I believe it was Pierre Poiliev, but it was at least the it was. it was at least the Conservative Party who who caught yeah. that, um, and uh, they uh, and, and they also um, were offering help to uh, different or to to corporations in Canada who needed the help uh, in exchange for ownership shares uh, for or percentage of ownership in the in the businesses and I don't know if anybody actually took them up on it or not but I don't think they did and um, this is this is kind of a hallmark of of uh, this government in particular like it's it's like they don't like private industry. They've been after private industry since they were first elected. They've been uh, going after small businesses, and and now they're trying to take ownership of your house uh, when you buy a. If you're a first time home buyer, they they want to be on the title for your house and contribute ten percent of your down payment. They they uh, they want to be on the ownership of uh of of businesses uh it's 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 very scary like this is this kind of stuff is you know one step below actual fascism 
Yeah, absolutely right. And we know that Justin Trudeau loves his socialism. There's no question about that. And thank you, Lewis, for reminding me about uh, the, the first-time homebuyers and how the government was going to pay for 10% of the, of the mortgage or pay for whatever it was. But yeah, I think at the end of the mortgage, they wanted 10% of the value when you sold. So if that was that how it worked? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had forgotten about that. So I'm glad you reminded me because that's yet one more thing. So no, the airlines thankfully have not accepted this, this generous offer from taxpayers made on our behalf, but you know who did accept the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, Mother Corp, the state-owned broadcaster in Canada, the CBC, is going to accept a generous cash infusion from you and I, the taxpayer, of $1.3 billion, plus $34 million to help them make up for, quote, lost revenue due to the COVID pandemic. Aren't we generous as taxpayers? Uh, but that's more than their annual budget. It is. And I could, don't remember who the guest was, but there was a gentleman I was listening to who said it's roughly about 285,000 people who turn in, tune into CBC News nationwide. He said that's an awful lot of money for 285,000 people. He said CBC's market share is so abysmally low that they can't get advertising revenue. So now you and I, the taxpayer, are making up for that taxpayer or that advertising revenue for them. Well, no, and my reaction here is quite genuine. This is the first time I've heard of this, uh, about this, this cash infusion. So, yeah, I'm, um, this is, Wow, this is very concerning. I mean, what 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 are they? I mean, the airlines would have to give up some some ownership shares. What what does CBC have to give up? They're already a hundred percent owned by the by the government. Like, how do they even qualify for this? They're a government. They're a government, basically a branch of the of the Canadian government. Yeah, they are. And uh, the point that this gentleman on the this talk show had had made was. The really unfortunate that whenever the CBC is in trouble, all they have to do is go talk to the heritage minister and get a rubber stamp. Whereas if it's private industry that's in trouble, they just go under. And the CBC's market share for, for viewership, uh, at least into television, I don't know how well the radio business does. People seem to like CBC radio for some reason. But on the television side, I mean, they could go dark tomorrow and only Prince Edward Island would notice because in Prince Edward Island, CBC actually is the only uh, television broadcasting that they've they've got that's homegrown. So, I mean, we've called for privatizing the CBC, selling it off, shutting it down for years. But if this isn't a sign that this television albatross either has to go completely or completely get gutted and rework its market model, or its business model, I should say. I mean, what more? How much more of a sign do we need, Canada? Yeah, and you know, you always hear about these people getting uh, all up in arms about anytime someone suggests getting rid of the CBC, they go crazy and they and they act like it's the end of the world and the end of the free press and yada yada yada. And it's like, well, 
if you like it so much, why don't you watch it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, and really, that's the since they've lost Hockey Night in Canada, what do they have that's worth watching? I mean, this hour at 22 minutes hasn't been funny since Rick Mercer was there. And Royal Canadian Air Force was good, but that's been gone for 20 years. So what do they have left? I mean, there, there's been a handful of, of pretty good shows. Uh, I mean, Shit's Creek was actually quite good. I just finished binging it on Netflix. I didn't, I never gave it a chance before because it was a CBC show, but uh, I just binged the whole, the whole uh, series and, and it was actually quite good. Um, oh, there's, there's been a, a handful of pretty good shows um, uh, such as, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the shows Pure, and it's a it's about um, Mennonite uh, a Mennonite colony in Ontario that is uh, smuggling cocaine into Canada. And, oh my god! Yeah, it's 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 a it's a pretty good show too. Um, oh wow! Like CBC has actually been been producing some pretty decent shows, uh, but nobody watches them. And so. W- Canadian taxpayer dollars are going to these shows that nobody's watching. Uh, I mean, Shit's Creek was is actually quite highly rated. It was uh, it just won a whole slew of Emmys, um, and uh, and is you know pretty world renowned um, as as a you know it, it, it was a big hit kind of around the world. Um, but oh, good. but those are few and far between, and. And we're putting taxpayer dollars into this stuff, and and no, and and virtually, aside from one or two shows, nobody's watching. No, that's right. And I'm going to dovetail off this one. This money for CBC. Once once Justin Trudeau announced that money was coming, he in the next sentence, and this is I'm going to take, go down a long road with this one, but this is where it really bugs me that I don't know if Justin Trudeau just doesn't hear himself talk or just thinks that we're all really dumb and aren't going to put two and two together. But here goes. He offered up $1.3 billion for the CBC and then said, and that means I won't be able to keep my promise about delivering clean water to First Nations reserves. Now, I know, Canada, you've heard me go on about this quite a bit in this show, and it still just really, frankly, ticks me off that that still isn't done, and now it's going to be delayed even more. And then, only a couple of days after this announcement of, of saying that he was breaking this promise of the First Nations of Canada, he then goes on, on the media and tells us about systemic racism in this country that's, that has to go and it's rampant and blames the RCMP for, for, for systemic racism against the First Nations people. And I thought, well, who's the racist here? Didn't someone just say he's, you, you can't have clean drinking water? Like it just it really ticks me off that people don't seem to understand that Justin Trudeau loves his socialism. And I remember talking to a native gentleman out here a few years ago and he was saying, You really want to see socialism, look at a First Nations reserve. And now we're seeing it. I mean, it's the government who's the who pulls the strings and now they've just pulled clean drinking water out from under the First Nations 
and then says, oh, no, it's the RCMP who are racist against the First Nations, not me who refuses to give them clean drinking water. Socialism, uh, yeah, socialism always results, always results in widespread suffering. And exactly, but they suffer equally. Exactly, but it's but we all but but it always results in widespread suffering, and all you have to do is look at First Nations uh, reserves to see that. And it's oh yeah, and and it's and, and then and if you don't believe that, look at communist Russia, look at Cuba, look at uh, uh, North Korea. Look at China. Look at all these countries that have that have done this. Venezuela, you know, all of these countries that have that have have gone or that have done socialism or communism, and and see what the results were. I mean, it always results in less money and and less wealth to spread around because you can't spread around wealth if it doesn't exist, and that's and that's and and that's and that's what happens every single time and you end up with widespread suffering and widespread death and uh i I mean and it's i i don't understand why everybody wants government to have so much more control i mean they everybody agrees every single person agrees that government screws up everything they touch yet they still want to give them more power and they want to give them more money like i i don't understand it i don't get it (laughs) Yeah, no, you're 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 right. I mean, and and it's funny you say that because that's exactly true. And then you get people who say, oh, you try and point out, yeah, Cuba. Oh, well, they didn't get it right. You know, well, how about the USSR? Oh, they didn't get it right. China didn't get it right. And they keep thinking, oh, next time we're going to get it right. Well, Venezuela was that next time, and they sure didn't get it right there either. No, the the problem is is that the socialist doctrine doesn't take into account human nature and so right i mean it's just not possible it's not possible for a socialist utopia it's just not possible and the the and the best system we've got for creating wealth and keeping and dragging people out of poverty is capitalism it, capital, Absolutely. capitalism has brought more people out of out of poverty than any government program in the world combined no 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 government program has ever lifted people out of poverty it keeps them there yeah that's actually really well said i mean that that, that's right government programs keep them in poverty and i almost think they're designed to because the last thing a bureaucrat wants is people to get off of his program because then he loses his job. Exactly. Yeah. And they, doesn't, they don't care about you. They care about, you know, you as a statistic, but not you as a person. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and so you've got all of this. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sorry to diverge a bit here, but it's all connected. And because when, when governments become more and more socialist, when they become more and more in control of people's daily lives and what they, how much money they're allowed to keep and how much they have to send to the government and all of this kind of stuff, the, the more and more government has control over that stuff, they start taking away your rights. And that's what's been happening this year at a record rate. They have 
taken our civil liberties away. They have, uh, I mean, look at what the, the government of Quebec has just done. They've just passed a law that the police are allowed to enter your home without a warrant to ensure that you are following COVID protocols within your own home. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? You can now be fined for not wearing a mask inside your own bloody home in Quebec. Yeah, this is scary stuff, people. Like, we need to stand up. Like, uh, I've got I've got friends who are who are RCMP officers, and one of them was was saying the other day. He says, "I can't believe it." He says, "It's absolutely mind blowing to me how quickly Canadians were willing to just give up their civil liberties." Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's frightening. It's mind-boggling. And the problem is, is that the only people protesting it are crackpot conspiracy theorists. And so, okay. so they don't get, they don't get any. There's no credibility attached to them because they're all QAnon believers, and it, it's it's sad because. They see our li- civil liberties being eroded, but they see all this other stuff that they keep spouting and everything at their rallies, and it and it makes them look like fools. And so it doesn't get the credibility it deserves. But we Canadians need to start fighting back. We need to start taking back our rights because when you lose rights, you rarely ever get them back. Yeah, that's right. And they're just trading them off for one bailout or another. And it's uh it's sad. It's very yeah. sad because I mean, like, even even now, like this is this is where it's headed. There's British lawmakers that are already talking about using these COVID lockdowns as ways to fight uh climate change. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, and then I and I know the arguments because I've heard them say, "Oh, we were locked down in May or March and April. How you know the CO two imprint went down or the carbon imprint, I should say, went down." But this is not the answer, folks. That's such a simplistic way of looking at it because when yeah yeah our CO two went down, but we started having people killing themselves left, right, and center. We started. Uh, you know, we've totally decimated our economies and we're going to have bankruptcies just start rolling in here pretty soon. And they're not going to stop for a long time. Like this is, oh, yay, we brought down the CO2 level. Good for us. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. So I'll wrap this up with uh, Justin Trudeau, the, the segment anyway. Um, it bothered me when he was talking about systemic racism from the RCMP against First Nations people, yet he hasn't really asked for any accountability for it because Commissioner Brenda Lucky still has her job. So another, in my opinion, just hollow statement from Prime Minister Trudeau, and I'm getting really tired of it, yeah. especially when it comes to the First Nations, because obviously I'm you know somewhat connected that way. And yeah. I mean, even just as a decent human being, this is a, this is completely just unacceptable. Well, don't forget. I mean, the, the head of the RCMP is a liberal uh, connected uh, person. So that's, yeah, that's true. And uh, I mean, the, the whole thing with Justin Trudeau is that 
He's sowing division within Canada. He is the prime minister of fear and division. And because if he can divide, he can conquer. And that's what he's True, been yeah. doing since he was since before he was even elected. That's what he's been doing. And he's been doing it the whole time. He's a master at it. Yeah, oh good point. And that's actually a really good segue into our last topic, uh COVID nineteen. Um speaking of divide and conquer, now I gotta admit, a friend of mine had sent me this link a few weeks ago, and I assumed it was just some some easily debunkable conspiracy theory because it was attached to a website called buyandsell.gc.ca. And I thought, well, the government of Canada is not going to have a website that's so simplified that it's called buy and sell until I looked it up. And what do you know? There actually is a government of Canada buy and sell site. Is there? And there it is. Yeah. And they actually, uh, it's where they, they have a lot of uh, requests for proposals for procurement. Oh, and okay. yeah. so one of these requests for proposals was they would wish to procure some COVID isolation bunkers. Now, uh, that sounded kind of weird. So I was looking into it and it was all laid out. They were, this is why I thought it was a conspiracy because it was all laid out that the government of Canada was looking to, for a company to build some shelters for people who had COVID to who could, you know, be housed in these shelters away from society in general. And I thought, okay, that just sounds a little too big brother, you know, 1984-ish. So then I looked it up and what do you know? They actually did put out uh, requests for proposals for companies to build COVID-19 isolation shelters. Um, the bidding is now closed, so you and, and I can't get in on the, this, this proposal, but holy crap, that was real. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I I never would have thought that would happen in what we still like to call a free and democratic society, but I don't know all the details of their intentions behind these isolation bunkers, but they're calling them isolation bunkers. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I honestly, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> no, exactly. Like I, uh, I was positive it was just some nutcase conspiracy theory, and then I looked it up and it's like, wow, it's actually right there. And holy crap. I, I was like you, I was like, I just was speechless to read it and discover that it actually was real. So, yeah. So yeah, I guess if, uh, when the next one comes along, we'll have to see if we can't, uh, get in on building some more COVID stuff. Oh, uh, COVID, COVID 21, isn't it? Isn't that what? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Back to COVID-19, now you and I had talked about this, God, a month, maybe even two months ago, that there was a former Liberal MP from Montreal who got a, a contract to build ventilators. Yeah. Well, I finally learned the guy's name. Frank Bayless was that former Liberal MP in Montreal. Yeah. Who got, not only did he get, I think you said it was a $200 million contract, right? $254 million. $254 million sole source contract to make ventilators for COVID-19 to Frank Bayless, former Liberal MP in Montreal, who has no experience building ventilators. And it turns out that the company Mr. Bayless had incorporated to make these ventilators was only incorporated seven days before the contract was signed. 
How about that? Well, of course. Um, you're surprised by this? <laughs> you know, and that's a sad thing, because I'm not. Like, yeah. I, I should be surprised. I should be beside myself. But really, it's just you shrug your shoulders and say, huh, speaking of the, you know, well-connected in society. Yeah. And it, it, we say and this every show. Where does this end? Where does this end? And, and here's the thing. How much do you want to bet that that company doesn't actually build the ventilators? They're just going to source the ventilators from a manufacturer that already makes them and bring them in and sell them to the government at a marked up price, right? Well, that's exactly what I think is going to happen. Yeah, because it's like they're not going to be able to pull together a production facility with equipment and and assembly lines and all of that in, in short enough order. They're just sourcing them from a manufacturer, which is something the government could have done themselves. But the government is on this kick of paying way too much for stuff like the ventilators. They, they've already said like they, they've been they paid exorbitant amount, exorbitant amount of money for the ventilators. Uh, I think they paid like something like eighty thousand dollars a ventilator. <laughs> wow! Yeah. So. Oh. It's like how do, how do I get in on this? Well, you get in on this because when you sign the contract, you get in on it by saying yes, and I will kick back ten percent of the profits to the Liberal Party of Canada. Allegedly, and then you'll get a allegedly, 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 yes, allegedly. <laughs> I, I, uh, wow! All you got to do is tick the box, Liberal supporter, in your uh, application form, right? Well, it certainly seems that way. You know, it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, this government is so corrupt. And, you know, we've, we've put that up on our Facebook page a few different times, that Justin Trudeau is the most corrupt prime minister in Canadian history. Lewis, you said it a hundred times on this show. Yep. Justin Trudeau is the most corrupt prime minister ever. And yet, as we talked about in our election special yesterday, yet the Liberals can still elect people in these Toronto by-elections with the absolutely abysmal voter turnout, but still, still people are still saying, yeah, oh, that, that, that's not so bad, is it? We, we can still vote Liberal. Yeah. Like, give your heads a shake, Canada. Honestly, Canada, I love you from coast to coast, but good Lord, what does this government have to do? Yeah. And this is why I'm. I keep saying I don't understand how people want to keep giving this, uh, giving governments more power and more money, like all, all while saying, yeah, they're all corrupt and they're all crooked and they all waste money, and, and yet, but at the, in the same breath, saying let's give them more power and more money. Speaking of that, and this will be a good way to wrap up the show. Jagmeet Singh, who is becoming very quickly our second favorite topic on this show, recently said that he's willing to prop up the Trudeau government for a full four years of their mandate. Does that surprise you, Lewis? No, because he is completely broke. Yeah, and that was a story you sent me a couple of days ago, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, the NDP are completely broke. I mean, they, they, I, it's hard to follow the cash. But from what you and I could interpret from all the loans and uh, 
and spending and fundraising that they've been that they've done they are it appears that they were around 20 million dollars in debt yeah and the fundraising under Jagmeet Singh apparently has pretty much dried up from the levels that it was even under Thomas Mulcair yeah so... it's down to something like between two and five million dollars a year and uh and when Jack Layton was the leader it was around 12 million yeah so I mean they're hurting like crazy they're in debt and I think that article you had sent me had said something to the effect of they're having a difficult time even just servicing their debt correct yeah because I mean they've taken yeah. out like a 12 million dollar mortgage on their on their headquarters um, they've they've uh, I mean because they can't raise very much money um, they are having a very very difficult time even just paying their their uh, financial obligations, never mind actually fighting a, um, a, a, a an election. Yeah, and because of this, I mean, I, I guess I'm, we're just assuming this is why Jagmeet Singh continues to prop this government up, who continues to push him around because they're they obviously are are wise to this. But at what point in time does Jagmeet Singh become completely irrelevant? Well, I think he's, aside from the fact that he kind of holds the balance of power, I think he is irrelevant. Um, I mean, Trudeau has proven this by offering him vague promises uh, in return for the NDP's support to, you know, kill uh, investigations into we, into propping up the government. Um you know, it's just into, you know, keeping the house from sitting during the summer. I, and, and he's done it all for vague, non-committal promises and that they that the government never follows through on. Yeah, and I, th- I loved his latest one when he was trying to justify propping the government up by saying, Justin Trudeau wants an election and... And, and we denied him what he wanted. And I just thought, is that really how you're going to justify your capitulation this time by saying you helped prevent an election? Like, yeah. The liberals didn't want an election um, because if they, if they did, they would just call one. Uh, they, they didn't want an election, and that's why they made it a confidence vote because they knew the NDP would not support it. Uh, if it was a confidence uh, vote, and, uh, and and the liberals played him like a fiddle, like it, it was it was embarrassing uh, how easily the liberals manipulated Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. It really is embarrassing. Like it's, uh, I mean, Jagmeet Singh is. Yeah, he might actually be irrelevant already. He's certainly very quickly becoming a caricature of himself. So I, I wonder if there's is going to be a push to uh, perhaps drive him out of the leadership chair before before too long. Well, if the NDP membership or even the MPs had any sense about them, they would. Um, I mean, it's it's great for you know. The Liberal Party, if the NDP keeps, uh, you know, 
shooting themselves in the foot like this because the NDP support just moves over to the liberals. Um, but the, the NDP, I mean, their MPs, they got to start. It, it's kind of the same way with the liberal MPs. Like I, I just look at the liberal backbenchers and I go, what is wrong with you people? Like it's about time. It's about damn time. That you guys stand up and say, Hey, what this, what my, what, what the leader of my party is doing, who happens to be the prime minister, what my leader, the, what the leader of my party is doing is not right. And the fact that they don't do that just shows me what kind of character they have. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Leona Alislev seems to be the only one who had any, who had any uh, uh, ethics. Um, yeah. No, that's, and, and, and even, well, and Jane Philpott and, um, uh, oh, geez. What's her name? Uh, former oh, Wilson. Yeah, Jody Wilson Raybould. I mean, I like I said before, you and I, neither of us really cared for uh, uh, Miss Raybould in her role. Uh, we both think that she had made some critical errors in, while she was minister, but yeah, she did at least have the the ethical standards to stand up to the prime minister and not let him bully her around. Um, Jane Philpot was the same thing. She, I mean, I actually like Jane Philpot. Um, she, uh, she did the same thing. She stood up to the prime minister as well. Uh, so did Leona Alislev. Um, it seems to be, uh, that these are the only ones who are sitting, who were, who were sitting liberal MPs that had any, any backbone, any any ethics, any uh, you know self worth and self respect to stand up and say no, this isn't right. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's the the strong women that Justin Trudeau wanted to court that ended up being the ones that actually were the strong ones to stand up to him. Yeah, yeah, the ones he didn't All want right. in the party. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. All right, Kenneth, so that's our time for, for today. Um, we'll leave you with that. We're actually not leaving you on a sour note, just leaving you something to think about today. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. So <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us. Our, show, our full show was delayed a little bit this week due to the election summary we put on for you yesterday. So we'll be back Tuesday next week and on our regular schedule. And until then, it's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Thank you, Canada, and good night. Good night, Canada. Tony.